Hey, Northlands, it's good to be here. It's a joy and an honor anytime we get to say yes to the Lord, to what he's called us to do. And I get to tell you the good news of Jesus today, and I'm so excited. I have a word for you called an undivided heart. I don't know about you, but I'm a person who likes to know what the goal is. What's the goal? Where am I going? Please paint vision for me often. And um, I like to know how I'm doing. I love a good self-assessment, whether it's good or bad, give me a report card or a performance eval anytime. I love it, I wanna know how I'm doing. Um, it's very much a sense of control, right? And all of that is flesh. All of that's flesh. It's not the way of the spirit. As I was preparing for today, the Lord gave me a picture. I don't know about you, but I love the Macy's Day Parade. I also enjoy the dog show afterwards. Anybody watch that? Yes, a few of you. Right, quite interesting, interesting dogs. Um, but the Lord just brought this picture to mind of um, the dogs, you know, standing in front of the judges, waiting for their assessment. They look good, they performed well, they're waiting for their marks. And this is my tendency, right? And the Lord whispered and said, Jenny, it's not my tendency. The goal is not performance, it's devotion. The picture on the left looks like performance, evaluation, wanting a grade, seeking perfection. I mean, we know we're not Jesus, but we're going for like a good 97%, right? Yeah. Right? Um, but the picture on the right, that looks like devotion, acceptance, desire, wanting relationships, seeking connection, that look that passes between owner and dog, that devotion, that's what we have with Jesus. That's what's available to us. Behavior, the performance, it's just a byproduct of our heart condition. The Lord's always been after our hearts. And so that's what I want to talk today about. You know, as Tyler said, as a leadership team, we have been um, waiting on the Lord and he constantly talks to, us, talks to us about single-hearted devotion over and over and over and over. It's the underpinning of our messages, of our worship sets. Um, Tyler brought a word in February and it talked about how um, in the secret place, in intimacy, is where we find power. It's where we find refuge from the pressures of life. Anybody been through some pressures this year? I have been as well for a couple of years now. So like Tyler said, we're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about why does the secret place seem hard sometimes, right? Why, like we know, we, we know this is the best place for us. We want that devotion with the Lord, but why does it feel hard or uncomfortable? Sometimes boring, if we're going to be honest, right? Why is this hard? Why am I so inconsistent? I wish I had the discipline of my husband. The man is so consistent. It's an area I wish I was stronger in. Why am I not consistent in the secret place, especially when times are hard and times have been hard for me? And what the Lord showed me is that we have a problem with a divided heart. The enemy cannot steal your salvation, but he does aim to divide your heart. And it's with things like comfort, control, relief and pleasure. It goes back to the first commandment, you know, the one that says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make for yourself an image out of anything in heaven or above or beneath the waters. Don't bow down and worship anything. I am the Lord your God and I'm a jealous God. Before me in this Hebrew expression means in addition to me, in preference to me, in competition with me. Most of us here would say in the room, yeah, we love Jesus. I mean, 100%. But are there other things that we also love that maybe are dividing our heart, are vying for our hope and affection? I don't know about you, but when I read the scriptures um, and I hit the like idolatry verses, I kind of skim. I'm like, I'm good here. The golden calf is not my, 
my issue. I've got other issues. I've got other issues, but like idolatry, like I'm good on that commandment. Let's keep going. And actually I'm not. Actually, um, this is quite an issue. And it starts out as a small issue, but doesn't everything. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to give you some examples. I want to give you some real examples that start out as these small issues. But over time, if we continue to allow them to take, take place in our heart, they grow and they grow bigger. I know it doesn't seem like very Christmassy to talk about idolatry, but actually Advent is the perfect time to talk about it because this is the time when we say, oh, I give you, Jesus, all of my wonder, all of my uh, affection. It's like Russell was talking about with the Christmas lights with his daughters. Like the, the beauty of this season is meant to draw us into devotion, into worship of Jesus, right? So it's the, the best time to talk about idols and divided hearts. If we look at 1 John 5, 21, it says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keeping yourself means keeping yourself from trusting obeying, following, revering, worshiping anything other than Jesus and the one true God. Some of these idols are very obvious. You know, there's the false gods and the statues, fortune tellers, zodiac signs, horoscopes, but also fame, reputation, fortune, the love of money, or that lust for control because it makes us feel safe. And that's a lie. But there's other idols that are not so obvious. And they're the perversion of good things. I want to look at an instance in the Bible about this. Um, we know Gideon, right? He's the guy who led the 300, defeated the Midianites, who'd been terrorizing Israel. Great guy, great story. After the victory, the people were like, oh, Gideon, you're amazing. We want you to lead us. They wanted to make him their idol. And he said, oh, no, oh, no, you will not. I will not rule over you, nor will my children. But he's like, let me, let me give them something to draw them to the God of the victory. So he said, I'm going to fashion an ephod. There's a picture that will come up. An ephod is this golden breastplate that the high priest would wear when he was leading the people into worship. It would have stones and gems and colors that represented all the tribes of Israel. So he said, everyone, throw in your earrings. He gathered 43 pounds of gold, impressive, and he fashioned this ephod. And the ephod was meant to be a symbol of the God of the victory. But let me tell you what happened. Gideon put it, put Judges 8, Gideon made the ephod, placed it in his home city of Ophrah, and all of Israel played the harlot. And, be, and this became a snare to Gideon and his household. The ephod was supposed to be what I call a maggot. It was supposed to draw people in to worship, but instead they put their affection into the item, the symbol, instead of the God of the victory. They love that symbol more than they love God. And there are idols that pull for our affection, that we, they offer us another place to lay our hope or our focus in a season. And this, this happened for them and it happens for us. I think there are other things that act like these magnets, these things that were intended to draw us to Jesus. Um, things like nature. I mean, who doesn't see a beautiful vista of mountains and cliffs and just say, oh God, you are amazing. The creator of heaven and earth, right? We read Psalms about it. We go on hikes for those moments to see the waterfall, to see the view. Nature is meant to draw us in um, to worship of God. But sometimes it can become the idol when the worship of the peace that it brings or the wonder becomes more of our affection than the creator himself. What about beauty? I mean, beauty was God's idea. 
And this, this absolutely, we see something beautiful and we're like, oh Lord, that you could make this again, whether it's nature or person or piece of art, but also beauty, beautiful things can become idols. We see this all around us in our culture. People, gosh, people are meant to draw us to the Lord. When, when you get that loving text from a friend this morning, like I did, I mean, people show you the heart of God, right? The kindness, the nearness. Um, people are meant to be a, a magnet, to bring our eyes to the Lord. Oh, how good are you that you gave me the spouse of my dreams better than I deserved. God, how good are you? And, but also we can put people on the pedestals and we can make them idols. Instagram has made that very easy for us. And we get more obsessed with people's lives than the life of Jesus. Or symbols like the ephod, right? The symbol, the religious statue, the place, you know, the building campaign, we get more obsessed with the place than the presence that can get perverted too. Success. I mean, when you get the promotion you didn't deserve, you're like, oh God, like how good are you? You're unmerited favor. Your goodness knows no bounds. When, when the Lord showers that success on you, it, it results in worship, right? But also, also that magnet can get perverted into an idol when we chase the career and the ministry and the reputation and the fame and the attention and the accolades more. You know, we tend to love what makes us feel the best. And so we get feelings, we feel things from the things the world offers and um, they are light and momentary, fleeting. What truly makes our souls feel best is the secret place. And we know that, but why do we not always go there? One last magnet um, is, is health, you know? When, listen, I appreciate a day where I feel perfectly normal now, like I never have in my life because I've been so sick for so long. I, I, I thank God, I return him in thanksgiving and gratitude when my body is strong and I can do the hike and I can, I can take care of the kids without chest pain. Like my health is a gift and a blessing and it results in praise and worship, right? When he heals the sickness, but also it can become an idol when we're more obsessed with the high of the workout and, and the, um, the, we give it more of the time than Jesus. Your fitness can be your secret place. It is for many and that is phenomenal, but also it can be an obsession and an idol. See, we, just like it says in Romans 1.25, we can exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the created thing rather than the creator. This is the way of the enemy. He's been doing this from the beginning. He's been lying about God to us since the garden. He's been perverting truth, perverting good things, perverting magnets into idols, playing on our lust for comfort, control, relief, and pleasure. And when we buy those lies, our hearts become divided. And that is what idolatry is. And idolatry fundamentally robs us of intimacy. That's the problem. Idolatry steals from intimacy. Why does secret place feel hard? Maybe, the, maybe our hearts are a bit divided. It's like what Stephen said last week. I loved it. We trade a feast in the secret place for a cheap meal in the public place. We opt for what feels good and requires the least from us. Often because we're genuinely tired. We're generally worn down from the season we're in or all that we've poured out, right? We, we can definitely justify the cheap, easy meal. But when that becomes the habit, that's a, that's a problem. We want God until we sort of don't. We want him when he's answering our prayers, especially in a timely manner. Um, 
you know, right? We love that. Um, we're all about devotion. It is easy to raise our hands and worship the Lord when he has done great things. And he does do great things, but not everything is instantaneous, right? There are weights. And in the weight, I have found that I can chase an easier, cheaper, quicker remedy to, this, the, to the discomfort that I feel. And that's when my heart gets divided. I want to tell you a little bit about, about what that has looked like for me. Um, first, if any of this is resonating with you, there is a book that's been so helpful for me in the last year. It's called Resilient by John Eldridge. It's on our journey map under leadership and soul care. It's a really, really good book, um, and it has been a blessing to me. So what's my story? In the last two plus years, I uh, got sick with COVID and have had a run with long COVID that has been one for the books. It has affected every part of my body, um, my cardiovascular system, my mind, my hormones, my iron, my, my cells' ability to hold nutrients. Um, it has affected every relationship in my life, every area of my life. I feel like much has been stolen and hijacked in this season. And I don't know if that's your story or maybe you felt like that in other seasons or in other areas. But in that, God in his kindness, he spoke a promise to me. He said, Jenny, I will restore you. And he gave me a picture of a car being restored. I always think it was Stephen Templeton because he restores cars. And you, when you restore a car, the little that I know about that is you take every piece down to the frame. And I just saw the Lord's hands um, just cleaning each and every piece of that car. And he, he told me two things in this picture. He said, this is gonna be a process. Restoration of a car is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. So he let me in on his way, which was such a gift, right? And then he also showed me the picture of the completed car and it was almost like a better than before. You know, like, did it look that good when it came off the assembly line? He promised me a thorough, complete, every cell, every system healing, right? Like I had a specific promise from the Lord. It was so kind. It was exactly what my heart needed. And I have prayed that promise. I have declared that promise. I have stood in that promise for a long time. I mean, we're talking years now. And then there's times I got tired. It wasn't every days, but it was every day, but it was a lot of days. I got worn down. I got worn down from the symptoms. I got worn down from life. I mean, I'm, I'm managing a household. I'm educating my children. My husband is in the greatest travel season of his career. Um, the doctor's appointments, the finances, you know, medical bills. I mean, it just gets to be a lot. And there are days that I got tired of praying the same prayers, right? Like, I've already said it. You know what I need, Lord. And so it tempted me to turn to empty idols, to turn to other things for comfort and relief in the weight. And again, it was a slipping in and out of experience. It wasn't all the time, but it was more than I'd like to admit, I guess I am right now. The issue became apparent of a divided part in my life. So I'll tell you about three kind of magnets um, that, that turned into idols for me. One of them is that nature beauty magnet. Um, you know, I love, I love to travel. I love to see God's creation in people and places. I have had some of my most incredible God encounters in the mountains of Syria, on the coast of Oregon, um, in different places with different incredible people in my life. Um, Senora Maria in Nicaragua this summer, like there are just people and places that have moved me I have met with the Lord and I'll never forget it. You know, you've had those encounters with Jesus. But for me in this season, I wanted to escape the walls where everything was a reminder of my body failing me. 
everything hurt. My heart was racing when I was doing dishes and changing diapers. Like everything about me was unwell and everything was a reminder that God hadn't showed up yet for me. And so I wanted to escape. You should see my Airbnb um, app. I have planned some incredible trips. Not that I've gone on them all, but but alas, I would like to. (laughs) When I'm laying in bed and my heart is racing, I went, instead of going to the secret place, I went to planning trips. Give me an out. Get me out of here. I want to feel good. Give me the next high of adventure. Whether I could actually do it then or not, I lusted for that. I wanted that. I wanted, even if it was temporal, give me relief from my current circumstances. Have you ever felt that way? And the thing is, I was grasping at straws for something very temporal. In travel, it's not bad. It is wonderful. You're going to see me go on trips this year. There's nothing sinful or wrong about that. But my heart was compelled by impatience and probably a, a lack of faith that God was going to come through because he hadn't yet. Yeah. Another, I, another magnet that got wonky was that people one. You know, there's obvious ways that we can, you know, turn people into idols like we talked about, whether it's the professional sports player or celebrities or royalties or influencers or people who we get obsessed with and we like escaping our life and getting all up in theirs. For me, it was far less overt and toxic. I made my kids an idol. Um, You know, they were the ones that were in front of me 24-7, and being with them felt great, as it should, right? I'm a mother in every sense of the word. I'm a mother physically. I'm a mother spiritually. That is who I am. It's my identity. It is wonderful. I think it's the way that I will impact the kingdom of God in the greatest way in my lifetime is through those four treasures of mine. However, I got to a place of feeling so numb and so tired. I just didn't care about the things that, as Tyler talked about, make me passionate telling the good news of Jesus, leading groups, um, loving people the way that I do. I just didn't care. I just like, I don't have anything to give. The doctor said, Jenny, you need to just accept. We don't know what to do with you. And this just may be your new norm. You know? And so I, I was like, I'm not high capacity anymore. I don't have leadership. I have nothing to give. The gifts, the callings, they felt stolen. And so I was like, you know what? I just don't even care anymore. I just want to live for my kids. If I could just see them grow up, like that's enough for me. And that's not Jenny. That is not who I am. I have loved Jesus since I was eight years old. I live for him no matter the circumstance. But there were times when I just didn't care so much. And again, we get worn down in those long waits and we think things we would never say out loud. I didn't even voice those things to my husband until I'm prepping for the message. You know, like they're just, there's hidden things in our hearts and in our minds that we don't share because we know they're not right, but like, but they're there. Augustine calls this, he says, the essence of sin is disordered love. It's a problem of disordered loves. Not that it's the wrong love at all, but it's out of order, right? Our love is Jesus Christ. And everything else is underneath that. I know that, but I didn't always feel that. My heart wasn't always there. We elevate the lesser thing to the more important thing, particularly in times of unhealth and strain and pressure. Me putting them before Jesus was not the best for me or for my children. I'm a much better mom when I have my loves ordered properly. But fear and pain and discomfort 
and impatience and exhaustion are terrible guides for our heart. They do not lead us to Jesus. They do not lead us into the secret place. And maybe you're listening to me and you think, Jenny, these are just like rogue thoughts on a bad day. It's like not that bad. We've all like wanted to take a trip and we've all like, you know, probably poured more into our kids or valued them more than we should. Like it's not that big of a deal, Jenny. But the thing is, it may not be the golden calf, but it is the melting gold. It is our heart beginning to take a turn that down the road looks a lot different on the outside. You, you look at people and you're like, how did they end up? Like the great falls of, you know, Christian leaders were like, how did they end up there? It starts right here. It starts with a divided heart. And it takes a long time for that to look different on the outside, right? You can't look at my mothering and tell any difference between two years ago and now, but there have been differences in my heart. That's between me and Jesus. That's what gets sorted out in the secret place. That's why I desperately need the secret place. Another idol, it's gonna get happier, I swear. I just, <laughs> you know, it got hard for a while, so I got a lot to say. <laughs> um, another idol for me, probably one that underpinned all of them was the idol of comfort. Look, we serve the God of all comfort. You know, Second uh, Corinthians 1.3, praise be to God, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, right? Like he is the person and place of comfort. But sometimes when we're in the hard trials, which is, I just want things to be good again and I'll grab at anything that feels good. I do not want any more discomfort because there's so much already in my life. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like getting an epidural for birth, like appropriate, like get, you know, get a, a temporary pain relief. Um, but you can't live with that every day. You can't require this, this, this temporary relief. If you're living your life every day needing that um, relief, then, then maybe there's an issue. You know, if you need that fix, it's an idol. And so this can be a million different things. It can be the glass of wine every single day. It could be painkillers. For me, again, phone, the phone is a gateway. Um, it, online shopping, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. A lot of scrolling happened. A lot of nights I couldn't sleep well because my body was failing me, right? So, uh, you know, a cute outfit on a hard day. No shame in that, amen, ladies? Like. Nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes a habit, that's a problem. You know, I just, I want to think about anything else. I want to feel good. Maybe if I look good, it'll offset how bad I feel. <laughs> Especially when my sickness is not visibly obvious. You can't look at me and know, but I'm telling you, I was very sick for a very long time. We live in a society that values comfort kind of above all else. I mean, we wouldn't stay at Airbnb without a microwave. Let's, let's be real. Um, the temperature of our homes must be just right. You know, it's a good 68 at night and 72 during the day. Like we want to feel good all the time. Um, we want proximity. I mean, houses where I live sell because of neighborhood amenities. We want exactly what we want within walking distance. Do not make me go far for the things that I want. We set our lives up for comfort. Relationships. When they don't feel good, the world says just bounce, you know, like things should feel good all the time right now. Burger King, have it your way. And this is our drive, especially in COVID, right? Like COVID was hard. And so we're like, whatever you need to do to get through it, you do that, which feels really good. But it is actually, a, it's a cheap alternative. It's an incomplete offering, right? And, and the thing is, we gotta shift our belief a little bit around comfort, okay? Discomfort does not mean that we are unfavored. And favored does not always equal comfort. 
right? We are blessed and highly favored. We are children in a royal priesthood. I mean, we are, doesn't mean that we're not gonna go through hardships. Jesus said, count all joy. You know, you live in a broken world and you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I am your way through it. You're not doing it alone. And this trouble, this trial, this sickness, it will not break you. It will not take you down for the count. That's his promise to me. And so we can count it all joy because what the truth is, is that our hardships actually do some work in us. They actually draw our roots deeper, our spiritual roots. It's like what happens in winter. There's no flowering plants, but there are, there are seeds that grow in the ground and they grow deep roots. So in a new season, you see the fruit, right? There is something good that can happen in discomfort. Maybe we need to embrace it a little bit. You know, Elizabeth Elliot, love her. She said, this hard place, perhaps you find yourself in, is the very place in which God is giving you an opportunity to look only to him. There are sacrifices of worship that happen in the hard trials that you can't give any other time in your life. My friend Nicole is a beautiful example of that. You give a gift of worship when everything is hard in the wake of loss. I've been there too. That is a gift you can't give Jesus any other time. We're becoming someone in our seasons, right? We're in a process of becoming and maybe discomfort is valuable and productive for us. Maybe we don't have to run from it and grasp for other things to satiate it. Maybe it is a little bit good. Ron and I read a book um, called The Comfort Crisis, not a Christian book. There are cursors in it if you read it. However, it painted a point of picture of our obsession with comfort, okay? We want anything that feels good. So as a family, we read this book, we're like, we're gonna start rucking. Do you know what rucking is? It's where you like put weight on and you go for a walk or a hike and you just make it harder. Like <laughs> the weight is work, but it's productive work. It actually makes you stronger, right? And that's the invitation. Jesus, if I'm walking through the discomfort, then give me some muscles, make me ripped spiritually, right? That is possible for us. Sometimes we deny going into the secret place because the comfort that the world offers us is easier. Okay, look, it's like eating an Oreo. You know, you open the package, you eat an Oreo, you never eat just one. You eat like three or four because they taste delicious and it requires nothing of you, right? You go in the secret place, you taste and see the goodness of the Lord and the peace in his presence. Why do we not do it again? The moment we feel bad again, the moment we get discouraged, the moment we feel lonely. Why? Why is it like the order that we just grab it and just go right back to that place? Because I think there's some other things in our hearts, right? I think that the idol of comfort is a problem. And I think that we, we don't always want to put ourselves in the position in the secret place to receive because it takes some effort. Being vulnerable takes effort. Can I get an amen? You know, it's like vulnerability hangovers. Like you feel done after you like spilled your beans to a friend. You know, like it takes something from you to position your body in a way that you are calming your mind, taking out the distractions and receiving from the Lord. And at the end of the long day, Netflix seems far preferable, right? Or Oreos, you know, like they feel good and they require nothing from you. But vulnerability is the position of the secret place. That is the position in which we receive. Okay, so as an example, I'm laying in bed, God reminding me of this. My youngest son, Titus, he takes swim lessons. 
And so the whole point of these ASI swim lessons is like, when you're tired, flip to your back so you don't drown and die. So when you're tired, flip to your back. Um, Titus likes to be upright. That baby will doggy paddle and reach for anything around him, but he does not want to go to his back. He feels vulnerable on his back, right? So he will tread water and he will grab at people, anything near him, instead of flipping to his back. But every week for 15 minutes, they flip that baby to his back over and over and over. And he's beginning to find, y'all this week, he's like a little otter. He's laying on his back, his hands are behind his head, and he is chilling. He is resting in the vulnerable position. And he actually can last a lot longer in a harsh environment, a dangerous environment like water, when he is resting in the vulnerable position on his back, as opposed to when he is, he is with all his might trying to stay afloat upright. Vulnerability is the position in which we receive and where we can find true rest for our bodies, our minds, and our hearts. I think the other thing that keeps us from the secret place is boredom. I know that sounds terrible to say, but like when you pray the same prayer over and over, like it gets old. Also, sitting in silence, kind of tricky. You know, I'm not a monk, not used to this. It's hard. I mean, like at a commercial, I'm scrolling my phone. Again, the phone is the phone's the devil. It's not, but you know, it's like a gateway. <laughs> I scroll my phone at a commercial because I, I, I am constantly looking for stimuli. I want music on with kids screaming, with me teaching, with like cooking, like all the noises, all the things. Like we're used to a, a barrage of stimulus. So to, to sit in a secret place for like more than five minutes, it can get boring. Or you just fall asleep, right? Anybody? I have fallen asleep with Jesus. We can just call that like spiritual rest, but really I got bored. Um, I'm reading a devotion with my friend um, by Jackie Hill Perry, and she says, we have to begin to find beauty in boredom. Again, it's a shift around our perspective, around comfort, around boredom. Maybe those things are actually really gifts to us. Maybe we need to train our hearts to embrace them a bit. There is beauty in boredom, value in discomfort, and transformation in our trials. So, okay, we've made the point. We have problems. And how do we come back to loving the secret place? How do we come back to that single heart devotion to being, I mean, that is who I am. How do we return? So we're gonna look at a great guy in the Bible, Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. So we'll start with 2 Kings 20. Hezekiah, he's a couple decades into his reign. He gets really sick. The prophet Isaiah comes in his room and said, get your stuff in order, you're about to die. That's not the word you ever want from the prophet, but that was his word. So what does Hezekiah do? He turns his face to the wall and he prays a very bold prayer. He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion and, done, and I have done what is good in your eyes. I mean, I don't know that that would be my prayer. Like, please, really, like, I don't want to die, but I think that's quite bold. He was very confident in the life he had lived. He was confident. He had, he had lived with wholehearted devotion. And I'm like, Hezekiah, how? Now, God responded to that prayer by giving him 15 more years of life. Amazing, right? How? How did he live in wholehearted devotion? Go back two chapters. When he was 25 years old and he became king, he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just like his father David had done. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made 
And up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense too. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings in Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept his commands and the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, he was successful in. What did Hezekiah do? He tore down the high places. So the the people at the time, they worshiped the one true God. They they went to the temple, they made the sacrifices, they worshiped the God of Abraham, but they also had set up idols in the high places. For instance, the Asherah pole. The Asherah was the goddess of fertility. So you want a baby, you pray to God of Abraham, and you also make a little sacrifice at the Asherah pole, right? There was a division of their hearts. It was God plus. And Hezekiah came down and said, not on my watch. He tore it down and he brought a nation of people back into single-hearted devotion. That's how we could pray that prayer. It's not that he didn't still have battles. Like things were not always well in the kingdom and with Hezekiah ever since that moment. But he knew the answer. It goes back to tear down the high places. Is my heart right with the Lord? There were moments he had to repent, right? In those couple decades. Lord, uh, no, 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 that's my heart's not right. Bring me back to this place. But he knew what the answer was. Coming back to single-hearted devotion, tearing down the idols. And I think the problem is we don't realize we have idols. Again, we think that's the only issue. Um, we don't realize that we have some idols in the high places because we're not worshiping wooden figures and golden calves and all of that. But we are looking for other things to satisfy us and sustain us outside of Jesus or in addition to Jesus. And so I think there's a moment where we need to clear out the idols, right? I was listening to Joy to, Joy to the World. It's my favorite Christmas song. And there's a line in it that says, let every heart prepare him room. It insinuates that maybe there are other things in our heart, but we need to make some room, clear some things out. And so this preparing room for Jesus at Advent, it looks like awareness and repentance. And these, 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 are, these are brief moments that change everything. We're not talking about some long, drawn out, prostrate, confessional, like, But there is a moment where we become aware and we repent and we turn and we say, oh, Jesus, no. We say, Psalm 51, create me a clean heart again, Lord. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. We are in Christ. We are not slaves to sin, right? No longer slaves to sin, but we are still tempted by sin, right? We are not perfect. We are tempted by sin. And so what does Holy Spirit do? He is so near and so tender and so kind. He just, he makes us aware. He just illuminates an area. That's what he did for me. It was so kind. He just illuminated an area. He said, Jenny, you're going here instead of me. And as soon as I was aware, you know what I did? What we would all do. I'm so sorry, God. I am so sorry. That's not who I am. Thank you that your forgiveness covers me. That's it. It's as simple as that. Because, right, we know we're forgiven for past, present, future sins, but there's still something productive in saying, I am so sorry, Lord. It's like when I have to apologize to my husband, you know, I know the answer. I have to go and say, I'm sorry. I know he, I already know he's going to forgive me, but it's helpful in our relationship for me to say it, right? I know he loves me, but it's very helpful to hear. I love you, Jenny. You know, (laughs) there are things that are helpful in a relationship. Saying I'm sorry is one of them, right? And this is not, I want to be so clear. This is not condemnation. Condemnation pushes you down under the weight of guilt and shame. This is conviction. 
right? Conviction draws you up into a passionate belief system, right? You ever heard anybody that's like really convicted and passionate about something? Um, it, it is a drawing up out of your seat into something. That's what Holy Spirit does. It is beautiful. It makes us feel alive, right? And this is how we again enjoy the sweetness and joy of our salvation, how we again want to go to the secret place consistently, right? It's better than Oreos. (laughs) Because repentance generates a longing for intimacy. Repentance is beautiful. It generates a longing, a desire for intimacy. You've seen it in your marriages. Can I get an amen? Right? You know what I'm saying? It's you desire to be close to the one who sees you at your best and at your worst. And he loves you and he's enamored with you. His heart towards you has not shifted. That is incredible. We wonder at a God who loves like that, who is patient with me like that, who doesn't say, Jenny, you should know better. It's been 30 years. You should know better. He is tender and compassionate and kind and near. And all we want to do is be near someone who's like that, right? We ache for those friends in our life because they reflect God's heart. We need that. We long for intimacy when we have experienced that beauty of um, repentance. It's like Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, God. That's how we come back to a desire for the secret place, to experiencing that intimacy that satiates our need for comfort and relief in the long wait, because we know that God will be faithful. We see it every week here. We see the testimonies. We know God shows up. We know he answers prayers, right? But in the wait, if you're waiting like I've been waiting and I think I'm at the end, praise God. This is how we wait well, not to perform well, but to be well, right? To, to feel well in our soul, in the deepest parts of our hearts. So we have a moment right now to experience that undivided devotion. You know, that look between owner and, uh, and dog of just utter devotion. We get to have that right now. John Eldridge in that book, Resilient, he says, we must, we must choose single-heartedness where we desire Jesus above all else, above our loves, our false Edens, our passing comforts. If you want to be a wholehearted person, you must reach the point where happily, lovingly, you give absolutely everything over to God. Jesus becomes your all in all. This is the fulfillment of your heart's created destiny. I love that. This is what we were made for. It's why we feel so known, so alive, so at home in this secret place. Because we were made to be with him, to commune with him. And so I want you to imagine what it could be like, right? What could your weight look like? What could that hard job feel like with an undivided heart? True rest is available to him. And again, this isn't some massive dramatic thing, but it is a big deal. It's kind of like my son's learning to play the guitar and every time he sits down with his guitar, he has to tune in, right? You got you to you tune the guitar every single time before you play it so you get the right sound. That's what this is. It's just... It's just a tuning, just looking at our hearts once again and say, Jesus, if there is anything, would you show me right now? Would you shift me out of that? 
Would you restore to me an undivided heart? Because you are my great love. I am undone by you, Jesus, and nothing else. You will satisfy me and sustain me as I wait for you to keep your promises because you are a God who doesn't lie. God's a God of subtraction. He is calling us to let go. Let go right now. Let go of false gods, of notions of success, of an obsession with comfort and quick fixes. Let go of your need for control and feeling safe. Let go of that need for comfort. Let go of those disordered loves. Cling to the only thing that can satisfy you. It is Jesus, Emmanuel, right here with us in this moment. And so we are going to sing a song. You can stand, you can sit and soak, whatever it looks like for you. But I just want to ask you, would you say, Holy Spirit, turn up the volume and show me and shift me. I want an undivided heart again. This is the cry of our hearts today.